Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. You know, I believe that every promise in the Bible is provisional. What does that mean? If you do this, God will do that. Or if you don't do this, then God will do something else. Literally every promise in Scripture is a provisional promise. Though God loves us unconditionally and we are saved fully by faith alone in Jesus Christ, at the same time, He has commandments and demands obedience. Do you know that? You know, one of the things in the Ark of the Covenant is what? The Ten Commandments. Is there anything else in the Ark of the Covenant? We're going to discover that here as we peer into the Ark and I get this slideshow started. There we go. All right. Ark of the Covenant. Now, it has what on top? Who remembers what those things are? Exodus chapter 25 through 40, that's where we're at in Scripture. They're cherubim, and in two weeks, we're going to get into the significance of the cherubim on top of the ark. And by the way, it is extremely significant. Today, though, we're going to appear into literally what's inside the ark, going behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, and I promised you we would get there today. And uh, so we will. Isn't that great? So I'm skipping a few things. Ark of the Covenant. In the book of Revelation, we know that uh, John saw God's throne. He was literally caught up to the throne of God. And we found the menorah, the golden lampstands. We found the table of showbread, the altar of incense in God's throne room. We also saw the Ark of the Covenant, Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. It says, And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. And the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm in heaven. Now think about that. We're going to have weather in heaven. How cool is that? I don't know about you. I love a good lightning and thunderstorm. Of course, living in California, we love it. We get it like what? Maybe once a year and it's like two little lightning bolts, and you know, uh, in the Midwest, wow, I remember as a child in Nebraska, my mom would make popcorn, we would turn all the lights off, we had opened the curtains, and all sat on the couch and watch it. You know what I mean? I was reading that there is a, a, a place in Venezuela, have you ever heard of this? It's called the place of perpetual lightning. Every night, they have like 280 lightning strikes off the coast, and it runs for 10 hours every night. I don't know, but I, I would kind of like to go there, except it'd be hard to sleep. Yeah. You know, all night long. <laughs> Lightning and thunder. Did you ever see uh, Raiders of the Lost Tomb, the Ark, whatever that is, in Indiana Jones? Remember the Ark of the Covenant? And the people looked in there and all kinds of weird stuff. Some say there is power in the Ark of the Covenant. Do you think there is? Is it God's power or the power in the ark? Oh man, it's God's Shekinah glory. And folks, today we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes resident in your heart and the Shekinah glory of God and the power of God is in you. I used to love 
rubbing my feet on the carpet in the wintertime and going up to my sister and shocking her right here. You ever do that? Like shock people in the ear? Because it really jolts you if you do it right there. If you do it here, it's it's a little jolt. Have you ever done that or just me? You, you know, I, I used to love doing that. And it's like, oh man, I'm making lightning. You know, as a little kid, I thought, how am I doing this, Lord? Before I understood, you know, the rubber rubbing on the carpet and generating kinetic electricity and all of that. I just, I used to think, okay, Lord, give me the strength to do it again. You know, I thought I was making light and I was just a dumb little kid. Inside the Holy of Holies is where we encounter God, where we have that personal FaceTime with God, where we through prayer can interface with the creator of the universe, and it's where we appropriate the promises of God. You see, every promise is provisional, and so often I have Christians or people that have left the faith or left the church because they say, man, I prayed that God would heal so-and-so, and God didn't do it, therefore I will not believe in that God. My question always is, Okay, the effectual fervent prayer of who? Righteous. A righteous man availeth much. Were you righteous? What is righteousness? Thessalonians, right? Faith plus love. Did you have complete faith? Because the Bible says if you pray with any doubt whatsoever, what? Don't expect your prayers to be answered. So did you pray believing that God had the power to do what you were asking him to do. Were you living your life in faith and love? Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. If you weren't doing that, guess what? No wonder God didn't answer your prayer. You see, the promises of God are provisional, and to appropriate those promises, the Ark of the Covenant holds the key. That's where the power of God, the Shekinah glory of God, resided in the Old Testament. Remember that. On top of the ark were the two cherubim. The mercy seat was right under the cherubim, and it was made of solid gold. That's the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. And the cherubim were above that mercy seat. Oh, man, we're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, and we have access to the mercy seat. Every time we fail God, His mercy is new when? Every morning, every time you fail, you can run to the Lord and His mercy is new. He loves you. Oh, His mercy is everlasting. It will never run out. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments for sure. Now, we're going to get into a little, uh, one of the discrepancies in Scripture. You ever hear about these? There's eight major ones. This is one of them. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? Just the Ten Commandments. But what about the bull of man? Yeah. And what about Aaron's rod and staff? Aren't they in the Ark of the Covenant? Let's see what the Bible says. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 9. Nothing was in the Ark except two tablets of stone. Is the Bible true or not? Yeah. Okay, so what was in the Ark of the Covenant according to 1 Kings? Chapter 8, verse 9. Just the Ten Commandments. The two tablets of stone. It's also in 2 Chronicles 5.10. Exodus 25.16. You shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you, which was what? 
the Ten Commandments, those two tablets. So we have an Exodus where God is giving Moses instruction, hey, put the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. Then years later, we get to 1 Kings, and all that is in the Ark is the Ten Commandments. Someone ate the manna. No, they didn't eat the manna. They're getting in the manna jar. You know, sneak it. As a kid, you ever get in the cookie jar? Okay, I'm the only one. Mom and Dad, I'm sorry if you're watching. I would sneak in there, eat cookies, and by the way, all the seized candy, I would eat that too. <laughs> you ever do that? And then you'd kind of, oh, never mind. But what does the author of Hebrews tell us? Why do we have the idea that their man, the golden jar of manna, Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments are in the Ark of the Covenant? The only place in Scripture is in Hebrews. And it's in Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 3. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, the sanctuary, which is called the Holy of Holies. That's where we're going today. Having a golden jar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, and uh, which was a golden jar holding the manna. Where's the golden jar, according to the author of Hebrews? In the Ark of the Covenant, right? in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded in the tables of the covenant. So, so many skeptics will look at this and say, see, the Bible is not true because the Old Testament says only the Ten Commandments are in the ark and the New Testament says, no, the manna, Aaron's rod, and the stone tablets were in the ark of the covenant. Hebrews 9.5, above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, but of these things we cannot speak in detail. So, why the discrepancy? Well, folks, the conclusion is this can't be true. Let's all go home. No, I'm kidding. Some of you looked at me like, seriously? <laughs> no, there's a very great explanation for the differences we have there. Our prayers move us into the presence of God. Do you know that? Now, what did the author of Hebrews just say? That in, in the Holy of Holies, there was not only the Ark of the Covenant, but what? A jar of incense. Ooh, we didn't read that in Exodus. But it's interesting because in Exodus 40, 26, the Bible states that the golden altar, the altar of incense, was in the holy place of the tabernacle in front of the veil. But the book of Hebrews seems to suggest that incense, the golden incense, was in the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. By the way, it could have been both. You see, we gain access through the veil into the Holy of Holies by what? Our prayers, that incense. It could be that the priest would move it in there, or the jar of the prayers was held in the Holy of Holies. So they move us from outside the veil, inside the veil, to the Holy of Holies, and the presence of God. Why is prayer important? Because that's when we have an audience with the king. That's when we enter that holy place. And that's why it's important that you do it by yourself. Exodus 40 verse 5 says, Moreover, you shall set the gold altar of incense before the ark of the testimony, that's inside the holy of holies, and set up the veil for the doorway to the tabernacle. So the altar of incense was, by the way, light enough and small enough to be moved from the holy place where the regular priests would do it. And once a year when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he would bring the prayers with him. Are you with me? 
So that's why before the throne of God, we have angels holding golden bowls full of what? Incense, which are the prayers of the saints, your prayers, symbolically. All right, so we've entered the Holy of Holies. What about the contents of the ark? Remember, we already read Exodus and Kings said only the Ten Commandments were in the ark. Hebrews says all three items were in the Ark of the Covenant. So how do we resolve this? Having the golden altar, Hebrews 9, 4, of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered sides of gold, in which in the Ark was the golden jar holding manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant or the Ten Commandments. Yet we read nothing is in the Ark but the Ten Commandments. We already read that in Exodus and in 1 Kings, and it's in Second Chronicles. So what does it mean? Aaron's staff literally was before the ark, not in the ark. Are you with me? By the way, the ark was quite small. Two and a half cubits. Cubit is about 18 inches from the tip of your finger to your elbow. And one and a half cubits wide. So it wasn't this huge box. You know, could you imagine all the men it would take to carry that solid gold lid with the cherubim? No, it was actually quite small. So how could a staff fit into the Ark of the Covenant. Well, we read actually that Aaron's staff was before the Ark of the Covenant and the golden bowl of manna was by the Ark, not in the Ark. So let's see what the Bible says. Exodus 16, 32. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer fill of it, speaking of the manna, be kept throughout your generations that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it and place it before the Lord, not in the ark, to be kept throughout your generations. How about Aaron's rod? And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony, before the ark of the testimony, not in the ark of the testimony. To be kept. Aaron's staff, number 1710. But the Lord said to Moses, Put back the rod or staff of Aaron before the testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put an end to their grumblings against me, and so that they will not die. So, what do we have? Old Testament, we have the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments in it. We have the golden bull of manna before the Ark and Aaron's rod before the ark, outside of the ark. In the Hebrew and the Greek, by, before, or in are words that can be used for something fully connected to something else. Are you with me? The idea is the author of Hebrews, even though he said they were in the ark, it literally means they were part of the ark. They all went together and they all represented something. The ark with the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff, and the bowl of manna were all connected as affirmations of God's what? Promises. All provisional and dependent on keeping covenant and the established order. Obedience to the Ten Commandments. Protection, the staff. Provision, the manna. So they represented these things. Does God provide all your needs according to his riches and glory? You ever felt the protection of God? 
three things associated with the ark, the Ten Commandments. It's all about God's provisional promises and covenant. The rod or the staff, it's about God's protection and guidance, how he shepherds us and leads us beside still waters. The staff also rescues us and manna, God's provision. When we grow to this point in our journey, as we went into the tabernacle and into the Holy of Holies, we can claim the promises of God and we are in the very sanctuary of God. This is where we should live, folks. This is where we should live. Do you know the new Jerusalem, the city we're going to live in for eternity, is 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. And guess what? The whole thing is the Holy of Holies. It is the temple for the whole new earth. Isn't that great? That's a big temple. Exploring the ark. Let's get into it. The first thing we're going to examine is the mercy seat. Then the other articles associated with the ark. Next week is our Mother's Day special. And uh, I love our Mother's Day service because, man, I really tell you women how you ought to be good mom. No, I, I, we're going to talk about uh, even like, hey, men, if you don't honor your wives, guess what? Provisional promise, right? Hey, honor your wife. If you don't, your prayers will not be heard. Your prayers will be hindered. So we'll do that next week. The following week, we're going to talk about the cherubim on top of the ark. I want you to consider this for a moment. Inside that ark is the Ten Commandments. There's one commandment that the ark is in violation of. Have you ever thought about this? You're like, what? Why? What? 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 One of the Ten Commandments is very clear. Let's read it. Exodus 23. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness, graven image of what is in heaven above, cherubim, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters under the sea. So one of the Ten Commandments says, do not make any graven images. And then what does God tell Moses to do? Hey, make some cherubim. We can break this one command. Is that what he's saying? Have you ever thought about this? Is it crazy? Have I gone mad? Scott, what are you saying? <laughs> but now God tells them to make a graven image of cherubim. When he just said, don't make any graven images. But as you read further, the purpose of that, and by the way, do you have any kind of like, like a, a, a Persian cat statue sitting in the corner of your house or a dolphin on your desk or... You know, and do you have any? No? Okay. Some people have stuff. The idea in this text is very, very clear. It's in the next verse. Don't make an image to worship. Worship God alone. Are you with me? Okay. That is the intent of the text. All right. So, the image is a shadow of the reality in heaven. And in heaven, there are two mighty cherubim flanking the throne of God. The Ark of the Covenant represents the throne of God. And that is why it is allowed in certain circumstances. In two weeks, we're going to look at these cherubim. By the way, Satan was a cherubim. I want you to consider that. On top of the mercy seat in the temple 
And in the tabernacle and around the throne of God right now are cherubim. Satan is a cherubim. It's interesting to me that, and by the way, we're going to get into angels and some of the classes in two weeks of angels, but it's really cool. So let's review before we uh, talk more about the articles in the Ark of the Covenant. We enter through the gate. What's the gate again? Really quick. Jesus Christ, I am the door, I am the way, you enter through me. We immediately come to the outer court and the altar. What does the altar represent? The cross of Jesus Christ, where he died for our sins. He paid for our sins, all of them, on the cross of Calvary. And then we make it to the water, the lavalier, the baptismal, where we are then water baptized. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And baptism is important. It's part of our steps into the sanctuary. After that baptism, by the way, and it's also the washing of water with what? The Word. The Word of God cleanses our minds and keeps our minds pure. And as Pastor Chris said in his homily, thinking about things which are noble and good and right, and Robert read the verse earlier, then we enter the sanctuary. Oh, the holy place. And we find after the sanctuary, the holy of holies. And today that's where we're going and we're going to gaze upon the content. So the mercy seat. In Psalm 91.1, we read this about the mercy seat. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. You see, the Ark of the Covenant represented the very Shekinah glory, the presence of God Himself. And by the way, all capital Lord means what? Yahweh. Yahweh, the name of God the Father. And He dwells between the cherubim. I love that. The mercy seat. Not getting what you deserve in terms of punishment for sin. That's mercy. And what's grace? Getting what you don't deserve, right? In terms of blessing. So the mercy seat is a shadow of the very throne of God. And his throne himself is called, I love this, the mercy seat. Hey, guess what? I'm going to have mercy on you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. It's the very presence of God. The Hebrew word for mercy seat technically is best rendered propitiation. The propitiatory. What does that mean? Who is our propitiation? Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's how we attain mercy. Therefore, the mercy seat pointed to Jesus Christ and true propitiatory sacrifice. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Whom God displays publicly, speaking of Jesus Christ, as a propitiation of, uh, in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. Jesus is our propitiation and gives us access to the mercy seat. So not only is he the gate, how we begin our journey into the tabernacle, but once we get to the mercy seat, he's the high priest sprinkling his blood on the mercy seat to atone for our sins. The mercy seat represents the very throne of God. It is where we encounter God. And the sad fact is, we talked about it, a lot of Christians hang out at the gate. They never make it into the sanctuary. 
They never make it into the Holy of Holies. Some are in the holy place where the church is, and the oil in the lamps, which represents the empowering and gifting of the Holy Spirit, and they receive communion, which is the table of showbread, but they never go beyond that into the Holy of Holies to encounter God. I love these verses, Exodus 25, 22. And there, speaking of the Holy of Holies, I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the Ark of the Testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. There, at the mercy seat, I will meet with you. Number 789. Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat, which was on the ark of testimony between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim, literally in heaven. Remember, the ark was just a symbol. God did not dwell in the tabernacle or in the temple. It was just symbolic of his heavenly throne. Psalm chapter 38, 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in my way, which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Do you know that God desires prayer to be a two-way communication? It's not a soliloquy. It's not you just telling God everything you want and confessing your sins and then moving on. But God speaks to his people. Where? At the mercy seat. Folks, believe me, and, and I wish you could get this. If he spoke to Moses... Symbolic as Moses approached the mercy seat and the Shekinah glory of God was there and God spoke to him from there. How much more will he speak to us when his Holy Spirit dwells in us? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, oftentimes it is an original thought stream. You ever been talking to somebody and God brings a verse to your head that you haven't thought about for a long time? or a story, or he begins to speak through you. That's what I'm talking about, this original thought stream that only comes from God. John 16, 14, He will glorify me, speaking of the Holy Spirit, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. That's the Spirit of God speaking to your heart. But when they hand you over, Matthew 10, 19, do not worry about how or what you will say, for it will be given to you that hour what you are to say. Speaking of the church in the last days, when persecution comes and we get arrested for standing for the word of God, will it come? It could come next year, the way this election looks like it's going. <laughs> hey, don't worry what you're going to say. I'm going to speak to you and through you to the people you talk to. And folks, we can appropriate those gifts of the Holy Spirit today. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, tongues, interpretation of tongues. That's God speaking through his power. Where does it happen? At the mercy seat. That's where he speaks to you. If God's been silent to you, I can assure you, you haven't entered the Holy of Holies. 
Oh yeah, you're a Christian. You're in the outer court, or maybe you're even in the holy place with the church, with the menorah, with the table of showbread, and, and you're saying, ah, oh, I'm here. But God doesn't speak. Oh, it's because you haven't gone behind the veil. You haven't entered the Holy of Holies to his very presence where he spoke to the priests in the Old Covenant, and now we are what? All royal priests. Matthew chapter 10, verse 20 says, For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Anyone that gets to this pulpit, they bathe their message in prayer, and I can assure you, God has inspired them to speak what they declare. When Pastor Chris delivers his homily or preaches back here, I know he agonizes all week long to hear from the Lord what to share with his people. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Revelation 3, 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's the door of your heart, folks. If anyone, what does what? Hears my voice. It's Jesus calling and I'm not talking about the devotional book. It's literally Jesus calling. Hey, don't rely on books. You'll never hear the voice of God. Hey, is that a bad devotional? No, I don't think it's bad, but so many people rely on that rather than going directly to him and having him speak words of wisdom to your heart and having him illuminate the word of God to your mind. Any problematic text in this book, if you pray, if you seek the Lord, if you enter the Holy of Holies and ask the author directly, hey God, what do you mean by this? You'd be amazed how often he will illuminate your heart. Ever happened to you? You don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, all of a sudden it comes alive. It's like, oh, wow, that's what it meant. I was so confused. Oh, man, the Lord wants to come in and dine with you. Have sweet fellowship with you. John 15, 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Interesting. Romans 8, 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. When you get to the holy place, guess what God is going to speak to you at that, that mercy seat? He's going to speak his love. He's going to sing joyfully over you. He's going to praise you for your faith and endurance in the midst of the battles that you face. He is going to sing over you, the Bible says. Remember that verse? Oh, I sing over you. I love you. My son, my daughter. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. That's what happens at the mercy seat. It's when a wounded frustrated, depressed, anxious, can't go on, person like us runs in and finds peace and sanctuary and strength that only God provides. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies or speaks or declares to our spirit that we are children 
of God. You have that confirmation? Do you know that you're going to go to heaven no matter what when you die? Or if the rapture occurs? You can know that. You can know that. Because it's not based on your righteousness, but on Christ's. Mm. Colossians 1.9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul would not write a letter to the church in Colossia, the Colossians. I didn't say that right, but anyway. He wouldn't write this letter if you couldn't have that prayer answered. Does that make sense? Hey, this is about God speaking to you wisdom and knowledge of His will in your life and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You have not because you ask not. You know, the Bible says that love is the greatest thing, right? Does it? Turn to 1 Corinthians really quick. Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The love chapter. <laughs> I love it. Oh, the, love, the love chapter. Yes. I'm in 2 Corinthians. I wondered why it was all weird and stuff. Okay. So we know love is patient. Love is kind. Verse 4. It's not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant. Guess what? God is what? Love. So you could say God is patient. God is kind. God is not jealous. God does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. I want you to consider that. What's that called? Mercy. It's having mercy on those when they treat you badly. You have mercy on them like God has mercy on us. Love bears all things, verse 7, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Skip down to chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I want you to consider this. In the Greek, this is very clear. Pursue love. That means this. Walk after it. You're not running. You're, you're walking after love. Okay? It's walking after. Desire earnestly the spiritual gifts means literally to lust after with passion, with every ounce of strength and emotion that you have. It's interesting to me. It seems like it'd be opposite. Hey, pursue to prophesy, but desire earnestly to love. Because that's greater in effect than walking after something. Does that make sense? The gift of prophecy is to declare a word that God has given you. It can be didactic, which is simply declaring the word of God. So if you read this book, you're declaring the word of God. True, right? Okay, but that's not a gift. That's not the gift of prophecy. If you're simply declaring the Bible, you do not have the gift of prophecy. You see, the gift of prophecy inherently of itself, if we have to desire that we get the gift of prophecy, is when God speaks to you clearly and you declare what he has told you. Does that make sense? That is prophecy. 
and it's available to all of us, God wouldn't have told us through Paul to pursue it, to desire earnestly to prophesy if it's not a gift you could not appropriate. How do you appropriate the gift? By entering the Holy of Holies and approaching the mercy seat and getting to know God. So, continue on. Isaiah 30, 21, And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way, walk in it. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, Isaiah 30, 22, 21, what's he talking about? The Holy Spirit leading you. In the days ahead, folks, this is going to be imperative. It's just like if you pull up to a stoplight, it turns green, and God tells you, hey, don't go. And then all of a sudden, a car runs the red light in the other direction. It's imperative in the days ahead that we're listening to that still small voice, that we're listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 55, 3, incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. Call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Jeremiah 33, uh, 3. The mercy seat is where we meet God. Exodus 25, 22, there I will meet you and from above the mercy seat. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions or sins, made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Guess where that is? The throne of God, the mercy seat, the holy of holies. Spiritually, we're already there, so that the ages to come might uh, show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by faith, by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see, many Christians are saved. They're going to make it to heaven. They believe in Christ. But they have not entered the Holy of Holies. They have not appropriated the promises of God. And they doubt when they pray. You ever have someone pray for, ask, have someone ask you to pray for them? They might be deathly sick. And you pray, but you really don't believe. Does that make sense? Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, Lord, please, you know, heal them, but uh, I doubt it. You better go see a doctor. You know, that's what you're thinking. What if you started to expect God to answer your prayers? To pray in faith. To encounter God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The jar of manna, really quick, we're going to run through this. We've got six minutes. Manna is referred to as food from heaven, or, or the, the, the bread of angels. Isn't that cool that angels eat? No, I mean, isn't that cool? Christ in his resurrected body ate, right? Man, he sat down, he made breakfast for the disciples. Remember, Peter jumped out of the boat. Ah, oh, it's my Lord, you know, and he ran and fed him breakfast. And then he said three times, man, do you love me, Peter? Because Peter, what, denied him three times. God was just confirming that. Angels eat. In heaven, one of the first things we're going to do is have a great Supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat. We're going to feast like never before. And Jesus will break his fast from wine and have wine for the first time in some 2,000 years. Isn't that amazing? Oh, man. The table of showbread is that communion where we remember the price that Christ paid and we have fellowship and invite Christ into our heart to dine with us 
and he with him. But when we enter the Holy of Holies, we have a face-to-face -face with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Manna literally is God's provision. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply some of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. No, all of your needs. What's the provisional promise here? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who what? Overcomes. To him I will give the hidden manna. How do you overcome? Read the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Because in your Christian walk, inevitably you will be one of those seven churches. Amen. You might be lukewarm today. One foot in the church, one foot in the world. You're lukewarm. It's going to tell you how to get right with God. Hey, you might be just barely making it. You're doing everything right. And the church of Philadelphia, man, everything's good, but you're weak. Man, you're just oh, tired. You're growing weary. It'll show you what you need to do. You see, all of God's promises are provisional. Seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness and all your needs will be met. All of them. He will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Uh, Matthew 6, and that's where that is. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I am old. I, I could never actually, when I read that before, until I really got gray and started feeling old, now it's like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I, now I am old. Hey, I can finally say it. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. Mm. Hasn't seen who forsaken? The righteous. Who's righteous? Faith and love. Complete faith in God. Loving God with all your mind, soul, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That is the fulfillment of the law. Mm. Honor the Lord, Proverbs 39, from your wealth and from the first of your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with wine. And literally that new wine is just the word wine repeated. It means a lot of wine. Wine, wine. Not wineers. You know, it's like, uh, but anyway, it's, it's like amazing. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Manna represents the spiritual bread of heaven as well. Not only God's provision that you can only access in the Holy of Holies as you get to the very throne room of God and the mercy seat of God, that manna, that provision is right there. But it also represents the spiritual bread of heaven, Jesus Christ. Isn't it cool how all these things point to Christ? Mm -hmm. All of them. Note this, John 6, 32, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Speaking of the manna. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who comes, he who comes to me will not hunger spiritually, 
And he who believes in me will never thirst spiritually, emotionally. Man, he will meet your needs. Aaron's staff, really quick, we've got two minutes. Can you stick with me? We could close right now. Okay. Aaron's staff. Okay. Oh, man, do we have time? Yeah. <laughs> Why did God tell them to put Aaron's staff before the Ark of the Covenant? I want to ask you that question before we get into it. Think about it. Don't answer it. Why was Aaron's staff significant? God tells him exactly why. All right, so let's get into it really quick. Aaron's staff. The most famous story of Aaron's rod begins with a few Levites being really disgruntled about Moses and Aaron having all the authority. These Levites, Korah, we know is one of them, this man, it's not a woman. And, and, and you know, they're saying, hey, we are called just like you. In fact, the whole nation is. We don't have to listen to you, Moses and Aaron. We can do, we love God. We have connection with God just like you do. What were they doing? Insane. Rebelling against the hierarchy that God had established. That was their sin. Did they have access to God? Yes, but God appointed Moses and Aaron to lead the nation of Israel. Just like God appoints a man to lead his home. Just like God appoints a man to lead a church. You see, they rebelled against that. And what did God do? He caused the earth to open up and he swallowed those three Levites, those three priests, and their, all their families into the earth and killed them. Then the whole nation of Israel rebelled and joined in the rebellion. And they came to Moses at the very next morning and muttered and said, You have killed the Lord's people. They thought Moses killed them. They rebelled against Moses and said, Isn't our whole nation chosen of God? Who, why do we have to listen to you? Why do we have to submit to your authority? And God was going to wipe out the whole nation. Remember that? They, they prayed for the nation, and God just killed 14,700 of them because they rebelled against the hierarchy that God had established. Huh. Aaron's rod. To put an end to the unrest, God used Aaron's rod again. And he had all the leaders from the various tribes bring their staff and write the name of their tribe on their staff. And they laid them all before the Lord. And God said, the one whose staff that I make bud is the one who's going to lead my people. Aaron's staff budded. Do you remember that? Okay. So it represented the uh, tribe of Lev Levite. Not only did it bud, but it actually produced almonds in one night. Now, it's kind of cool that he had an almond branch as a staff. We, we need to go to an almond orchard and get some staffs, right? You know, then we can beat these people into submission. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they left their staffs. Aaron's rod blooded, budded, blossomed, and produced ripe almonds. Isn't that cool? Oh, my goodness. That, I mean, in one night. So it was clear that God said, hey, you and Aaron are to lead my people, and these other people, man, they're not. And in verse 10 it said, and the Lord said to Moses, place Aaron's staff permanently before the Ark of the Covenant. It's attached to it. You could almost say it's in it. It's so close. Are you with me? 
That's why the author of Hebrews says it was in. The rest of the Bible says it was before because they were attached. They were a, a package deal. And note this. To serve as a warning to rebels. Rebellion, the Bible says, is as a sin of witchcraft. So in Hebrews 9, Aaron's rod remained with the Ark of the Covenant as a testimony of God's choice of Aaron and Moses to lead his people. It was a reminder that God will not put up with rebellion against authorities that he has established. That's in the church and outside the church. We're commanded to pray for those in authority over us. To submit to authorities, unless they go against this, and then what? We correct or we gratefully disobey. The staff is all about authority and God's established hierarchy and God's protection. Believe me, if you have a rebellious heart, God will remove his protective hand from your life. You know, Paul there was a church that was tolerating this young man living with his dad's wife, his stepmother. Remember that in Corinthians? And Paul said, man, I'm going to turn him over to Satan so that his flesh will perish, but his soul might be saved. You think there's authority in the church? Absolutely. It's a covering. When we pray for you, the Bible says actually very clear Pastors who share the precepts of God's word because uh, they desire to please God are in that place. Pastor equals shepherd. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders, pastors. Submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. 1 Timothy or Thessalonians 5.12, But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, that you esteem them highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Many Christians have lost that respect for the pulpit and the place that pastors are in. And I don't preach this because of me. I preach it because of Aaron's rod. You know, the pastor needs to be the servant of the church, not the other way around. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Just like the husband needs to serve his bride and treat her delicately. In God's economy, remember, everything is upside down. Christ is supreme, and he became the servant and washed feet and died in our place. It's the same with pastors. If they're lording it over, believe me, don't follow them. They are not good pastors. They are not good shepherds. If they're abusing authority, if it's all about you serving them, they are not God's shepherd or pastor because he is your servant, not the other way around. Amen. 1 Peter 5.1 says, Therefore I exhort the pastors among you, as your fellow elder or pastor and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. How do you know the will of God? Oh, yeah, God speaks to you mm -hmm. in his holy of holies, at the mercy seat, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your what? Charge. Do you know God establishes churches and pastors, and you are allotted to our charge? Pastor Chris and I pray for you. We're here for you to serve you. 
as examples to the flock. If the pastor can't be an example, you have no business being in his church. That's why when a pastor has a moral failure, I believe he can never set foot in the pulpit again. Can he be saved? Absolutely. But he can't say, follow me as I follow Christ. He, he crossed the line. See, one of the qualifications of pastors is to be what? Above reproach. And if you had a moral failure, like so many pastors have, no wonder the church has lost respect for this pulpit. Not this one, but pulpits and pastors and priests. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I went over. I'm sorry. And it represents God's protection and direction. And folks, that rod, we know the 23rd Psalm, right? Oh, man. Thy rod and thy staff, they do what? They comfort me because that's how the shepherd would protect the sheep and rescue the sheep with that hook at the end of their staff and guide the sheep with their staff and protect them. That's what God wants to do with us. We're going to finish this in two weeks. We're going to have to do it, but we almost made it through. I'm pretty excited about that. Sun restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve Him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.